Well, what's the verdict? Do I win the bet? Well... Still not convinced? Boy, you drive a hard bargain, Hillary. Well, I'll make you another bet. This time, double or nothing. What do you say? You've got it. Okay. Now, how'd you like to check out some records? Say, stories, songs, or even music. How'd you like to take them all home for free? And how'd you like to check out some books and magazines, fact and fiction from all over the world? And how'd you like to check out some movies? Maybe even a storyteller. But I don't have enough money for any of those things. You want to bet? Free library. That's right. Come on, let's check it out. Hello and welcome to a long-awaited episode of Manga Recon. I'm sorry it's been a long time. I have been writing Manga Recon columns, which you can read at popcultureshock.com once every month or every other month or whenever I get around to it. I haven't been recording a lot of Manga Recon episodes because I haven't really found the time. It's been a really busy summer, but I'm back from this sporadic schedule and I have a few columns to catch up on. And so let's see what I can get read today. I haven't read yet. Okay, this was published in May, so it's up on the webpage. I'm going to start off with a review of Scott Pilgrim, volume, I've read volume one, I've read volume one and two at this point, I don't think I'd read volume three yet, but volume three is awesome, so Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life, volumes one and two, by Brian Lee O'Malley, published by Oni Press, shock value A. Shock value is because it used to be buzzscope.com and it had a buzz value, but now it's back to being popcultureshock.com, so uh, whatever. Who would like this book? Fans of Love Roma and American indie comic lovers who think that most indie comics are too depressing. And who would hate this book? Hardcore hipster haters, but even then they might like it. Scott Pilgrim isn't really manga, per se. It's manga-sized, and I've seen it mixed in with the manga at Barnes & Noble, but it's by a Canadian fellow named Brian Lee O'Malley. Since Scott Pilgrim isn't being published by Tokyopop or Seven Seas, it's not even really OEL being marketed as manga. So why am I reviewing it? Because this is a good book, and you totally need to read it. I think manga fans would really like it. Before I was a manga fan, I used to read indie comics. Anything that was black and white with no superheroes was fine with me. I enjoyed the works of Julie Deshay and Peter Bagg's series Hate. However, I quickly ran out of indie comics that weren't too depressing. I put down Jimmy Corrigan after only two pages, and I can't handle optic nerve. Even Ghost World left me feeling pretty bad about life, the universe, and everything. Scott Pilgrim, by contrast, is a much happier tale of romance and young people. It's closer to manga in tone than most indie comics, but it's closer to American indie comics in terms of layout and style. The characters have big eyes, but they're just big black dots. The panels are mostly laid out in a way that leaves them very square-shaped. Sometimes there's some gray tones and speed lines, but it's very infrequent. There's a lot of text, a lot more than most manga, but not as much as in an indie comic like Hate. Scott Pilgrim reminds me of Love Roma, in that it seems to be a relative, like a relatively happy indie comic. The story opens with a simple line, Scott Pilgrim is dating a high schooler. It turns out that Scott is 23 years old, and his friends are very, varyingly cool or not cool with his choice of a high school girlfriend. Throughout the book, we learn a variety of other facts about Scott Pilgrim. He's in a band. He lives with a gay roommate in a one-room apartment. Scott owns almost nothing in the apartment. He doesn't have a job. He's not sure if he graduated from college or not, and Volume 2 explains this in more detail. His parents are traveling abroad. 
It's not really clear what money Scott is living off of, but it must not be much, since he takes the bus everywhere. It turns out that Scott Pilgrim hasn't done anything uncouth with his high school, f- with his high school girlfriend. Theirs is a fairly innocent relationship. Knives Chow, she's Chinese, isn't even really that into Scott when she start- until she starts watching his band, the sex... Uh, the band is called uh, Sex Bob Om, which is kind of like Sex Bomb, but with Bob in it. Knives wasn't really into Scott until she started watching his band practice. Things take a turn for the worse between Knives and Scott when another girl rollerblades through Scott's dreams one night and then appears in his real life shortly thereafter. Scott starts falling for the other girl, named Ramona Flowers, but he fails to break up with Knives. Under normal circumstances, that kind of dating snafu would make Scott Pilgrim a total jerk in my book. But the way it's presented here, it's hard to turn against Scott. He's such a nice guy. He didn't want Knives to get hurt. Things get more complex. Early in the book, Scott is being contacted by a mysterious guy who wants to fight him. The guy turns out to be Ramona's ex-boyfriend. Volume 1 reaches its climax as Ramona meets Knives at Scott's band's concert, and he's forced to fight Ramona's ex-boyfriend. Scott Pilgrim's precious little life might have turned out to be just a story about hipster Canadians dating each other and being in bands, but it's got additional levels that to the story that really make things interesting. It's no mistake that Ramona Flowers rollerblades through Scott's dream. This supernatural element isn't fully explained, at least not in Volume 1 or 2. As Volume 2 opens, we learn that Scott and Ramona must fight all of their partner's former boy- former partners. That is to say, Scott must fight all of Ramona's ex-boyfriends, Ramona must fight all of Scott's ex-girlfriends, including Knives. This sort of thing would almost lend itself to a shonen-style fighting tournament. Almost. To me, it seems like the fights are symbolic of what goes on in any relationship in real life. When you date someone, you inevitably have to deal with all of the psychological baggage left behind from your partner's previous partners. That is a very deep and interesting plotline, and it hasn't really come up in the romance manga that I've been reading. I suspect that there is manga that covers this sort of thing, but it's probably for older women and hasn't really been imported to North America yet. I'd really recommend Scott Pilgrim to anyone over 13. In this case, I think the age rating on the cover is appropriate. I can't really see 12-year-olds being interested in this. And there is one love scene, but it's totally tasteful. I'd recommend Scott Pilgrim to girls and guys alike, as the combination of romance, humor, fighting, and rock bands should make it appealing to almost anyone. I guess I should throw out there that this book is about hipsters. Hipster fashion plays a big role in Scott Pilgrim and the characters are living living their hipster lifestyles. But even if you hate hipsters, there are many nice elements that overshadow the hipster angle. Chords to one or two of the songs that the band's play are included in this story, so you can play them yourself. At one point, there's a recipe for vegan casserole randomly thrown into the text. Trust me, you should read this. Buy volume one and two at the same time, and you probably also want to get volume three as well. On the Equatorial Road. Watch out for the flying fish in the Transylvanian Road. Alright, moving on. Robot, super color comic, work selected by Renge Murata, digital manga publishing. Shock value A minus. Who would like this book? Otaku, who are not overly concerned with narrative. Who would hate this book? Your parents. So don't leave it laying around the house. I wanted to read Robot as soon as I saw the Japanese edition at an anime convention. The Range, and I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, Range Murata art on the, on the cover. You might remember Murata best is for his character designs in Last Exile. And Murata's name is on the cover. Much to my disappointment, inside the book there are only four color pages done by Murata. I, know, I knew it was a compilation of different artists, but I found it extremely frustrating that Murata's pages are only one panel each and not really a comic, although they do tell an extremely short story, 
They're very four. They are very four very nice pages. I'm just saying that Murata fans should be warned ahead of time that not to go, not to get their hopes up as much as I did. And then like later, I bought a Renge Murata art book, and it turned out to be like mostly his fashion designs, which is really disappointing to be imported. Anyway, the other problem with seeing Robot at conventions last year was that it was only available in Japanese, and it cost at least thirty five dollars. I knew that the American release only cost twenty five dollars, so I held off on buying it. But then I had trouble finding the book anywhere. My local comic book store was continually sold out of it, and I'd never seen it at Barnes & Noble. During New York Comic Con, I found out why I'd never seen it at a bookstore. Barnes & Noble doesn't usually carry mature titles unless they have a special deal with the publisher, though they would par- that would partially explain a lack of Dark Horse titles. That, I think, would explain a lack of Dark Horse titles in their shelves, but I think they're a bit better about that since the time that I wrote this column. I think I've seen more Dark Horse in, in Barnes & Noble. Although apparently Del Rey has worked out some kind of deal recently to get Barnes & Noble to carry more mature titles like Basilisk which is true at the time of writing this. Nevertheless, I got a Barnes & Noble gift certificate last Christmas and asked Barnes & Noble to order Robot for me through the store. That way I wouldn't have to pay shipping fees. Not a single Barnes & Noble location in Manhattan had the book in stock, which surprised the employee I was working with. A week later, they did get the book, and I picked it up. Oh boy, that shrink wrap is there for a reason. The Murata cover features one of his short-haired girls, who is probably very young. She's folded up in such a way that you can't see anything outwards, but it's obvious that she's only wearing leather gloves and boots. Don't let your mom find this book laying around your room. There are 20 short stories in Robot, all by different artists. The stories are in different styles and different lengths, and colored using different techniques. It's really rare um, for manga, but the whole thing is in color, except for one or two of the stories. One or two of the artists did a couple of drawings like Murata's, but other stories cover up to nine or ten pages. The book is in large format, and the color is incredible, so it seems more or less like an art book. If it weren't shrink-wrapped, and you flipped through it, you'd probably purchase this book without a second thought, unless you happen to get offended at some of the more peculiar nudity. You might recognize some of the artists from their other work, and some of the artists are newcomers. I think there's um, the person who designed Lane has one of the comics in it. Ultimately, I have to give Robot an A-, because all of the stories are too short. Just when something starts to get good, it's over. Like any compilation of short stories, some of them are good and some aren't. Several of the stories in the robot feature young girls, sometimes nude, which made me kind of worried about Japan and the whole Lolicon thing. Meanwhile, quite a few of these stories are the same sort of stuff you might see in regular manga, except in gorgeous color. A similar but more PG compilation art book to pick up is Japanese Comicers. Draw manga and draw anime and manga like Jap- Japan's Hottest Artist, edited by Comicers Magazine. Although there aren't any short stories in that one, you do get a few pages devoted to each artist's technique. techniques which I found interesting. Comicers will probably appeal more to aspiring artists, though, whereas Robot hits more of an otaku fanboy audience. I know that they're up to at least Volume 4 of Robot in Japan, and Volume 2 hit U.S. shelves last March 15th. Although I haven't seen it in stores, I'm sure plenty of people would purchase Robot if they could actually find a copy without having to pay internet shipping fees. I did ask Digital Manga why I was having trouble finding stuff in their stores, and they seemed to be, like, of theirs in stores, and they didn't seem to know anything about it. But I think it's true of a lot of digital manga books, like Antique Bakery. I've seen, I mean, I've seen Antique Bakery in bookstores, but I haven't really seen a lot of DMP's other books, um, which are a lot of boys love comics. But I've heard other people talk on podcasts about how they were easy to find, so what do I know? I still haven't read Robot Volume 2. Even though I gave kind of Volume 1 kind of a glowing review here, it's kind of hard to work up the nerve to read volume two because some of those stories are kind of lolicon and it's kind of frightening but it's nice art
picked up ultra cute and tokyo pop title that was probably released a long time ago it's ultra ultra cute volume one by nami akimoto buscor c who would like this book fourth to sixth grade girls who would hate this book boys and also me i picked it up based on the title i'm not gonna lie to you ultra cute starts off as the kind of mindless fluff you'd expect from the title for the first half the book is mindless shoujo fun for younger readers age 10 plus as the cover suggests is totally appropriate However, halfway through, the story takes a disturbing twist, at least from my point of view. I suppose the twist serves to keep up a level of conflict that the story, conflict that the story can continue, but I found it to be the wrong message to send to young girls. Amy and Noah, Noah being a girl's name here, have been best friends for most of their lives. In the past, they've always set their sights on guys, both of them on the same guy, and competed for their collective crush's affections. Usually, this just scared away whatever guy they were after, and rightfully so. So I don't know if it's clear here, but they would both always pursue the same guy, and then just never get a boyfriend. As the book opens, something happens to Amy and Noah that has never happened before. They meet two guys and fall for one each. Through a series of mix-ups and accidental cell phone switching, they manage to land a double date. Neither Amy nor Noah have had a boyfriend before, so they are very happy with this development. Up to this point, I'm totally with the story. Even though the characters are 15, they remind me more of junior high kids, and to their credit, 14 to 15-year-olds are in junior high in Japan, which covers 7th, 8th, and 9th grade. If I was in junior high and in their position, I could totally identify with their feelings. What happens next is where I lose touch. Amy discovers, by overhearing things while stalking, that the two boys they've met are total players. To these boys, love is just a game. They're in a constant competition to get girls to kiss them, date them, possibly fall in love, and then dump those girls and find new ones. This is pretty crushing to Amy, who thought she had finally found her first real boyfriend. At this point, if I were Amy, I'd dump that guy, and tell Noah about it, and move on. There's no point in hanging out with manipulative bastards like these guys. Instead, Amy does more or less the opposite. She decides not to tell Noah. Amy vows to get her player boyfriend to actually fall in love with her. All of this happens with plenty of... Come on, don't you want to kiss me? Scenes thrown in there by the guys. There's something fairly disturbing about forcing a girl to kiss you. It just says something like, In high school, maybe I'll move on to date rape. I hope for Amy's sake that in volume two, she figures out that her plan is an incredibly bad idea, and she just dumps that guy. But I doubt it. I also wouldn't be too happy to see an ending where Amy wins and the guy falls in love with her. Would he really stop being a jerk if he was in love with her? Frankly, I'm annoyed enough with the premise that I don't really care enough to find out the conclusion. The art is pretty standard shoujo stuff. Too few backgrounds, too many flowers, and, and bubbles. The character design is largely generic, albeit perfectly cute. Noah is unusual in that she is kind of tan, and there's a screen tone used on her skin the whole time. The author notes in the back that it was a in the butt to know Noah. I would seriously only recommend this to young readers. And even then, I'm kind of hesitant about what kind of message young girls would take away from this book, particularly if they've only read the first volume. It's not exactly a happy mania for ten-year-olds, but I'm worried it's headed in that direction. If I were a librarian, I probably wouldn't buy this book for my school. Librarians would have would be better off buying something with more substance for their shelves. Something more like Dokubi Bride. Stick your head inside these bones, records can be beat. Live your chance on these cassettes with rock and roll and beat. Magazines and movies, coming out the wall. Short, tall, bitch, boy, for one and all. Check it out, check it out, check it out. 
Alright. Dokubi Bride, Volume 1, by Marley. Publisher, Net Comics. Shock value, A-. I recently read Volume 2 of Dokubi Bride, but I figured I would talk about Volume 1 since I wrote through. Anyway, who would like this book? Anyone interested in reading manhwa that is really Korean in nature and not just a pale imitation of Japanese fantasy manga? Who would hate this book? Really harsh critics. We gave Dokubi Bride an award, I think, on the manga cast. Uh, a yomi is what we were calling them. Alright, here's my review. All the manhwa, that is to say, Korean comics, that I've read up to this point and haven't reviewed in this column, have been fantasy or romance or both, in genre, and sometimes, and they usually seem to be more or less pale imitations of their Japanese counterparts. And that's usually, um, up to this point, I'd really only read manhwa that Tokyo Pop had brought over. I've found that the net comics titles that I've read and I assume Ice Kinyan titles as well, since those are by publishers, those are by Korean publishers, and not just imports, those tend to go over a lot better. That's what I'm talking about when I make allusions to fantasy comics. In art style, they were all nearly indistinguishable from Japanese manga, except for the sound effects, the characters' names, and the left-to-right reading. This would make manhwa seem harmless, except most of the manhwa I've read made very little sense in terms of story, even less so than manga. Dokubi Bride is an exception. Dokubi Bride is a story of Sunbi, the only grandchild of a shaman princess of a small Korean fishing village. Sunbi's grandmother was well-liked in the community, but as the story opened, she's died and sent Sunbi off to live with her estranged father in the city. Sunbi's real mother died long ago, and her father took a new wife who gave birth to Sunbi's half-sister. Things don't look good for Sunbi in the city. She's insisted on keeping her very large pet dog, which upsets her stepmother, who is instantly cruel to Sunbi. Sunbi is a dour and spooky girl and walking around with a huge scary dog doesn't exactly make it easier for her to seem normal. The first chapter or two are not very impressive. It becomes obvious that Sunbi is, a psych- is psychic, and things aren't going to go well for her, but none of this comes off as terribly original. Cruel stepmother, psychic teenagers. It turns out, especially in volume 2, it's more clear that Sunbi's not really the regular kind of psychic. It's more of um, this shaman thing. It's more complicated. Anyway, we don't get much of a look into Sunbi's inner character in this volume. Instead, we get her backstory which is much more impressive and intriguing than her present. The reader is given a series of flashbacks from young Sunbi's life as she was raised by her shaman grandmother. It's worth noting at this point that Dokubi Bride takes place in the real world. Modern-day Koreans don't believe in demons or spirits any more than Americans might believe in ghosts. Most people don't believe that they really need a shaman to perform rituals, but they do it anyway as part of a cultural tradition. Most of the people in the village in Sunbi's village, think that the new shaman they've hired to replace Sunbi's retired grandmother is doing something symbolic when she summons the dragon spirit to ensure a good fishing season for the upcoming year. So it's a big surprise to the new shaman when the dragon spirit actually appears and is very real. Only the new doing-it-for-money shaman, Sunbi, and Sunbi's grandmother can see the dragon. Five-year-old Sunbi isn't afraid of the dragon, and he's good friends with Sunbi's grandmother. Dokubi Bride is an excellent and touching story with interesting characters, but to be honest, the artwork isn't that great. Something about the way the people are drawn, excluding Sunbi, is just a little flawed. Sometimes the lack of backgrounds makes the manhwa seem a bit sparse. However, it's obvious that the artist and her assistant spent a lot of extra time drawing the key scenes. The quality of the artwork goes way up whenever anything really important is about to happen. In the scene where the dragon spirit appears, the quality of the art improves dramatically over the rest of the book so far. It's such a dramatic scene, and so beautiful in terms of art and storytelling, that I was kind of choked up, which is a bit awkward on the subway. Ultimately, though, that's the reason I'm giving Dokubi Bride an A. It's legitimately emotionally moving. The minus is because the art is so inconsistent, and I'm not really sure I'd recommend this book to everyone. Unlike, unlike other Korean comics I've read, Dokubi Bride has a really great story behind it, like with actual themes and stuff. 
The story makes coherent, logical sense, which is more than I can say for a lot of manga. Plus, unlike other Korean comics I've read, there are a lot of things in the story that are actually Korean, not just sound effects. A lot of, not just the sound effects. A lot of Korean tradition is explained during the course of the story, and there's even a two-page illustrated glossary in the back with great definitions. That's kind of absent from volume two. Dokubi Bride takes its name from a kind of Korean folktale demon called a Dokumbi. When Sumi was little, she went with her shaman grandmother to feed buckwheat jelly to the Dokumbi. One of the demons took a liking to Sunby and offered to take her as a bride. He was joking, but four-year-old Sunby was terrified. Dokubi Bride leaves off in a moment of dramatic tension. Because of Sunby's psychic abilities, she's certain to be the target of dangerous demons now that she's moved away from the protection of her village and into the city. Without Sunby's grandmother around, no one is left to protect Sunby except her dog. It is this dangerous edge, although it seems hokey in the first chapter, which keeps the book from seeming too educational. It's the kind of comic librarians could easily put in a school library and feel good about it, and the kids would actually still like reading it. The age recommendation for the book is 13+, plus, and maybe the series gets too violent later on, but I'd safely recommend this volume to 11 or 12 year olds. It's good enough that I recommend it for adults, too. Now, in volume 2, there are more scenes of, like, horror, although this isn't really a straight-up horror comic, and it's not really, like, a ghost story, per se, but there are, like, very scary scenes in volume 2, which might make it a bit more questionable from my review here. Netcomics has made an awesome choice by importing Dokubi Bride as one of their first titles in the States. I think there's a large market stateside of comic fans who are genuinely interested in reading what Koreans have to say, and not just pale imitations of Japanese fantasy manga. There are a lot of Korean Americans, after all. I know a few of them myself. Having this particular title available in English is terrific. I'm definitely looking forward to Volume 2 of Dokubi Bride, and I'll be sure to check out other Netcomics titles. Unlike Tokyo Pop, Netcomics actually translates their sound effects which is useful because I can't read Korean writing. Like, I can read uh, the Japanese katakana sound effects or the hiragana. But the only other netcomics title I've read now is Let Die, and it's some kind of boys love thing going on. It's really weird. I don't think I've written a review of it yet. I will have to get around to that. Um, That's it for this edition of Manga Recon. Hopefully I can release them with greater frequency in the future because people really seem to enjoy actual content for half an hour. It's all for